I called up Peter Lucas, a journalist who covers labor and politics, so he could walk me through a video. This is a live stream from an event back in May. The scene is an alumni dinner for UC San Diego. At sunset, there are palm trees. You can see the Pacific Ocean. People flew in from all over the world to be here. Yeah, it's like a kind of cocktail scene. And it starts with uh, Chancellor Pradeep Khosla. Chancellor Pradeep Khosla. He goes up there to kind of kick the night off and and start with some opening remarks, which is when things, uh, maybe from the university's perspective, started to unravel a little bit. The first thing that happens is a bunch of people in the audience get out of their seats and begin to move towards the stage. One of them starts speaking into a microphone. Okay, I'm gonna let you finish, but I represent the 48,000 graduate workers at this university. These people are graduate students at UCSD, and they're pissed. They start by trying to give the chancellor an award of sorts. Most overpaid worker, they call it. The chancellor just got a half million dollar pay bump, which makes him the highest paid UC president by a long shot. These graduate students, they make just a fraction of that kind of money. Then the students start chanting. They don't address or speak to the chancellor. Uh, they want to address the crowd. Uh, they want they want their demands to be heard. These students remain on stage for nearly 15 minutes before continuing to chant, clap, and blow whistles from just outside the event. I wanted Peter to tell me why the students were being so aggressive here. After all, it was just back in December that graduate workers throughout the UC system signed a new contract. It ended a six-week strike, the largest higher education strike in U.S. history. And it was supposed to ensure fairer pay and a more equitable workplace. And right now, why workers are so upset is they're saying that the contract is not getting implemented. They did agree to it on paper, but so far the changes that they were expected to see are just not happening yet. Hmm. I think a lot of people are used to seeing a strike as a kind of battle and a contract as... A victory or at least like a shared agreement (laughs) between the two warring parties. But I guess is what's happening at UCSD suggesting the fight isn't necessarily over here? Yeah, I think that's very much the case. You know, if employers can come to an agreement on paper to settle a strike and then just disregard it and use various administrative and legal apparatuses to kind of continue to subjugate the workers, then what's the point? of a contract. Today on the show, how one union went on strike, won, and is still fighting anyway. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. 
When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So take me back to November. This is when the UC system was about to go on strike. What were the strikers in the UC system seeking? What did they want? Yeah, so they wanted raises. They wanted cost of living adjustments. They wanted protections for immigrant workers. They wanted um, childcare support, you know, given the fact that a lot of academic workers and and postdocs who are on strike are kind of in the age range, you know, you have 25 to 35 year olds, 40 year olds working, people are starting their families and they really weren't able to do that comfortably. And so that was a big part was getting people the proper salaries and the proper health care, the proper time off. Those were some of the big issues that workers were talking about going into the strike. Those seem like pretty reasonable demands. Like one of the things I think in there was a base salary of $54,000, which it's a salary. It's it's a real salary that you can support yourself on. Yeah, I think something that happens with graduate student workers is they have this kind of dual identity, dual classification where they're both worker and student. And I think that that sometimes allows universities to maybe pay them less than they should because, you know, after all, they're just students, they're just trainees, they're not full-on workers. But the reality is these student workers are not only, you know, participating in studies and research, but they're TAing, they're, you know, writing grants, doing whatever, and their workload actually often amounts to more than a full-time job. And I do want to emphasize, too, that it's not just the economic factors. But part of the reason why they went on strike was also for workplace conditions. A lot of academic workers, despite not, you know, maybe working in a factory with with your stereotypical kind of capitalist boss breathing over their shoulders, maybe they're working in a lab where you have a really intense or even abusive PI, principal investigator, that's, you know, looking over your every move. I heard too many stories to count of PIs who are saying, just like consistently telling their workers that they're not good enough. You know, PIs telling their workers that they're only there because of diversity initiatives. There was one story written about in Labor Notes at UC San Diego. This uh, woman worker was in her boss, who was a man, was in his office with the door shut and he held scissors an inch away from her face and told her that if she was not able to produce brilliant enough ideas quickly enough for him, he would cut her hair off. These are the type of conditions that grad student workers are facing. Wow. Okay, so I can see why the grad students banded together, but did they have the leverage to get all these things? Because they were asking for a lot. Totally. I mean, I think... You would be really surprised, maybe, uh, if you don't, you know, if you're not familiar with the inner workings 
of universities, just how much they rely on graduate student labor, right? Like you think of all these professors who, who have all these awards and, and have published these great works, but a lot of that is on the backs of their graduate student workers who are leading the discussion sessions, who are helping research, helping publish papers. It's really a sort of pretty spectacular kind of thing where you have nearly 50,000 workers go off the job. And that means that, you know, undergrads aren't, aren't getting their classes taught or, you know, research that has deadlines aren't being met. And ultimately, they did prove that they had the leverage when they won a lot of this stuff. So there's a six-week strike that goes into December the union and the UC system finally reached a deal. Can you just lay out what was in this contract? Yeah, so some of the highlights were up to one class of workers saw 80% increases in earnings. The average teaching assistant, they're seeing about a 55% increase. New protections around childcare, protections for reemployment related to work authorization issues for immigrant workers. Things like eight weeks of fully paid parental leave. Another one is the UC is now required to appoint graduate student researchers at 50% of full time, which was not happening before. You had workers being employed at kind of arbitrary rates of 42% of the time or 38% of the time or 47% of the time. And then another really big and I think unique thing that I haven't seen in, in very many other contracts that I've looked at is this Respectful Work Environment article, which establishes clearer timelines to deal with issues of bullying in the workplace, third-party arbitration if necessary, kind of more clear definition of abusive conduct. And what I mean by that is protections for bullying that's not discriminatory. It sounds really funny, but I had a lot of workers tell me that they were unable to get issues of bullying from their, you know, PI from their boss dealt with properly because those issues of bullying were not directly related to discrimination. They weren't getting bullied because of their skin color or their gender or sexual orientation. They were just getting bullied because they were a worker and there was no protection in the contract for that. So that's something they want as well. Hmm. It seems like a, a decent contract. I can see why folks agreed to it. Were people optimistic at the time? Like, okay, great. Like, let's get back to work. You know, I think I, I think I spoke to quite a few students who were like, you know, this is great. We, we didn't necessarily want to strike, but we did. And we won what we won. And the university agreed. And like, we're really interested in our research. We love our jobs. It's exciting that we get to go back to them and not have to worry about, you know, just constantly, constantly fighting the boss to get the bare minimum. We have it in writing now. So I think there was a lot of optimism, although I'm, I'm sure as well, maybe some, some more seasoned uh, union activists maybe were a little bit skeptical about things going completely smoothly moving forward. But I don't know if anyone anticipated uh, what was to come. When we come back, why that contract wasn't the happy ending workers were hoping for, especially at UC San Diego.
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. There are 10 University of California campuses that are covered by the new graduate worker contract that was approved back in December. But in the months since it was implemented, it's really UC San Diego that's had the most trouble. So I asked Peter Lucas, why? He said to answer that question, you actually need to go back in time, before the contract, just before the strike started. That's when a bunch of UCSD grad students got warned they might be slapped with something called a U-grade for abandoning their studies while on the picket line. U stands for unsatisfactory. It is not something you want on your transcript. Supposedly, they'd receive this grade for failing to keep up their academic work. But it's also important to note that the course that the U-grades were getting administered in is essentially made up. It's a placeholder course that doesn't have or didn't at the time have a syllabus or, you know, classroom expectations. It's literally just something that workers would check off to say, I'm engaged in student research. So it's not like by going on strike, they were failing to attend a weekly seminar or something of that nature. Hmm. Once the contract got in place, my understanding is that some students tried to approach their professors about these unsatisfactory grades because they were worried, you know, you have this on your record. It makes it harder for you to be employable later. It's just, it's not great to have in there. What happened when they did that? Yeah. So on January 26, two overlapping groups of union activists went to go approach some of these professors who had administered U-grades. So the first group approached this chemistry professor and he kind of said, you know, I'm not going to talk to you about this without conferring with university officials, but let's meet in my office at this date and we can talk it out there. Workers say when they arrived at his office for the meeting, there was a sticky note on the door saying he's no longer available to talk at this time. So that felt from what workers told me like a slap in the face. But going back to January 26th, some other student activists went to a physics department to two professors and they followed the professors into the classroom to ask them to overturn this U-grade and and stop intimidating these students. And basically the scene was this small kind of class of, I presume, undergraduate students, and then a bunch of union activists in the back, and then these two professors in the front. Now, one of the professors who was unmasked at the time threatened to uh, sue the workers because they were exposing him to COVID. And then his coworker, Uh, The other professor, he was sitting kind of laid back in his chair with his hands behind his head, 
And that same professor who's pictured with his hands behind his head resting back later told the police, you know, that he feared for his physical safety. And he thought that, you know, the grad student workers might attack him. So it was a um, pretty tough to square that photo and his quotes to police officers later on. But eventually the professors, you know, they called the department head, then they called the police, and then they canceled the class. And the university sent misconduct charges to eight of the union activists who did this, right? Yeah, so eight graduate student worker activists uh, were slapped with three different charges, all kind of together. It's like, and and the language gets uh, mixed and mashed, but it's like disrupting uh, university activities. Physical abuse was actually one of the charges. Threats to health and safety, failure to comply and obstruction. Uh, So the university eventually dropped the misconduct charges about physical abuse and threats to health and safety and failure to comply and obstruction. But they did end up kind of prosecuting on this alleged disruption of university activities. It's interesting because this this event, this sort of marching on the boss, folks complaining about their U grades, this was in January. And so you can see how very early on in this contract being in place at UCSD, things were not going according to plan. Yeah, I was almost shocked in my reporting when I was first uh, kind of exploring the story. And I was like, you settled in December. How can you really know by the end of January that, you know, they're not implementing this contract as they should be? And the workers were very clear. They said, we're supposed to be hired at 50% of full time. And they have not done that yet. The issues of setting up new procedures around bullying protections Workers say that they've tried to pursue them through the university and they just keep getting the runaround. So I was a little bit surprised, but it does seem to me that very early on, the university was clear that they were not going to implement these features, or if they were, they were going to drag their feet while doing it. And the university has done more than drag its feet. Remember that protest during the chancellor's speech, the one we talked about at the top of the show? Well, the university ended up filing criminal charges against union members they thought were part of it, including grad students who were not even there. In June, charges were also filed against three union members who wrote slogans like Living Wage Now outside a campus building. The members say the messages were written in washable chalk, but that did not stop campus police from arresting them. You know, I spoke to one worker, Jessica Eng, who's a postdoc at Scripps at UC San Diego, Um, And she talked about being taken to custody and being held for 12 hours, uh, talking about, you know, being chained to a chair, having to ask for permission to use the restroom or drink water, you're sleep deprived. Another worker talked about kind of the, the stench, the strong stench that you find in holding. And again, this was all in response to them chalking something on concrete. And the university says, oh, it it required $12,000 worth of maintenance to fix it. But the students say this was all washable chalk and markers. Exactly. So there's a little bit of a disconnect. They're wondering why it costs $12,000 and why are they being charged with actual felonies of vandalism and conspiracy? In the piece, I spoke with uh, a couple labor law experts 
one a professor at St. Louis University, Michael Duff, and the other Will Bloom, who deals with cases in First Amendment and worker rights. And Will brought up something that I thought was interesting, which is the university is saying this is purely for the damages done to their property, and it doesn't have anything to do with the union message. And Will said, it's really hard for me to imagine the university pursuing felony charges if a little kid were to chalk a hopscotch course on their sidewalk. At the same time, something more insidious is happening. A reduction in the number of grad students admitted to the university and a noticeable shift in who gets work in the first place. Peter says not hiring enough master's students and Ph.D. candidates and postdocs to help teach classes, that's going to harm undergrads, too. You have this restructuring of the way that uh, classes are being taught, where you have kind of these big lecture halls that maybe you imagine students learning in, but then after that, they typically go meet with graduate student workers, with teaching assistants in smaller groups to kind of digest uh, what they've just heard in the lecture. Maybe 25 undergraduate students to one teaching assistant and maybe a couple undergrad tutors. That's been changed in the math department at UCSD to go to 100 undergraduate students to one teaching assistant and three undergrad tutors. Completely wiped out of that is master's students who were a part of that strike hoping to get better pay, better protections, and now they aren't getting any wages at all. And workers are really concerned about the effect that's going to have on undergraduate students' education, where... They used to have this kind of smaller, closed-in group that they could really process and and begin to learn the material. And now it's almost just like another lecture. So do the students who are impacted here have a recourse? Like, is there an enforcement body? Or is it really just thinking about another strike? So right now they have some unfair labor practice or ULP cases that are still open where they're trying to, you know, challenge and say that, uh, you know, the university is retaliating vis-a-vis these unsatisfactory grades. Uh, They're refusing to implement the contract. I think it's much too early to talk about another strike over these issues, but workers have been clear that they're willing to take action. They're willing to do these marches on the boss. And I think that workers are really agitated. And I wouldn't, as a reporter, cap what they're capable or, or willing to do. I think for them, it starts and stops with seeing their contract implemented. Peter, I'm so grateful for your time. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Peter Lucas is a writer who covers labor and politics. His writing has appeared in The Guardian, Jacobin, and The Intercept, among other places. And that's our show. What Next is produced by Paige Osborne, Elena Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Madeline Ducharme, and Anna Phillips. We are led by Alicia Montgomery with a little boost from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you back here next time.